0: And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church.
1: Hallelujah. Good morning, everyone. Hallelujah. It's good to be in church. Hallelujah, for that it is exactly the way I feel. I'm not just come here just to be in church. Hallelujah, I've come to find out something about the Lord and feel his presence and not just to check myself off, hallelujah, I've come in here to see what thus saith the Lord would have to say, hallelujah, and I feel that in you, hallelujah, so let's pray, let's ask God to touch us, to touch our minds, our hearts, hallelujah, everything that'll be done today, those out back, hallelujah, I want God to stamp his approval on it, to anoint, hallelujah, that our efforts won't be in vain to guide and direct us and open us and touch us. For I know he will, hallelujah, let's pray God of heaven, we love you right now Father, we ask in the name of Jesus Christ that you touch this day, for Father we have gathered with a purpose, Lord God and that which you would anoint, Lord God and touch us, strengthen us, Lord God you know the effort that we put in to be here, Lord God for we have come with one mind and one accord, Lord God to set at your feet, Lord God to learn and to understand, Lord God what you would say, what you would put in our heart, Lord God, anoint each and every one of us, Lord God, Father, I ask you to move, Lord God, and to touch, Lord God, to have your way in each and every heart, Lord God, and to strengthen, Lord God. Touch your people, Lord Jesus, I pray. Anoint us with the Holy Ghost, Lord God, and strengthen us, Lord God, as we magnify and learn of your word, Lord God, to stay. Father, grant it, God, and we will praise and thank you for it. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. You may be seated. Thank you. Hallelujah. My title, I just want to go ahead and give you, um, will be. we've heard it all our life, um, many are called, but few are chosen. But my title, I'm, I've just used from that phrase, but I'm going to say it like this, called Who Became the Chosen. Now, I'm going to ask you to turn with me to, uh, if you want to, if not, just Uh, Look on the screen. I'm going to Matthew 13, and uh, we will read, starting in verse 10, i want to read just three verses. Now, this is just after when the disciples came to him, he had spake the parable of the sower, and the disciples come to him and just asked him point blank, why are you speaking in parables? And one thing I want to try to do with the help of the Lord is to try to answer this question some sort of a way why God spoke in parables and what I want to do is look at what God did to the old testament people how he brought us up to this point and why God spoke in parables God did not just take his word and I don't want to sound cruel this this day but I want you to get the point of why he spoke in parables. Because of face value, when you look at it from a fleshly term, when it says many are called, but few are chosen, it's not God is saying like, I'll use this congregation. I have called this congregation, but I'll take that one and that one and that one and that one and that one. I do not believe it relates to that. I do not believe in that. I believe everyone is called and only those that accept that called, they will be the chosen. And it's not that God is saying that I have picked those, so to speak. You, can, you got those that saying everyone is predestinated. Well, there again, you could argue that point, but I believe it is up to the individual because God has given us a free will. So everyone is given a call, but those that accept that call, will be the chosen. So there again, the precious truths that in this word, God spoke, but he just did not throw them out to everyone because everyone is not going to guard these truths like his disciples would. So he's taken, and the disciples just, I can see them pulling him to one side after he had just spoke the parable of the sore, and he just says it this way. The, the disciples asked him this question in 13:10. And disciples came and said unto him, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? 11. And he answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to them it is not given. Verse 11, or excuse me, 12. For whosoever hath to him, now this verse is not a play on words. For whosoever has, to him it shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not, from him shall be taken away even that which he hath. Now, when you first look at that, how can you take from someone that they don't have? But in spiritual terms, believe me, you can. Now, uh, we know a parable is just something that it is first off, in my eyes, It has just really um, two things that stand out. Parable number one, it is just given to reveal a truth, and number two, to conceal a truth. To me, that is what a parable is for. So God is saying to his disciples privately, so look at it any time God turns to his disciples and they ask him a question. Look at it as if God is speaking to you, speaking to the church. So he turns to his church and he says, I'm telling you these truths, but I will not tell the world. Now I'm telling you the truth. So he looks at his disciples and he said, it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. Now I can't drive that home enough to you. Look yourself in the mirror and tell yourself, it is given unto me, unto me, to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. You should always look at that from a positive way. Do not let the enemy or yourself turn that to a negative and look at it like, well, there's things in the Bible I don't understand. If it's given unto me to know the mysteries of God, then how come I don't understand everything? Look at it like this. God has said to him that would hunger and thirst after righteousness, to him it shall be filled. This is not a blank check given unto his disciples. What this is, God said, if you will apply what I have given unto you, then I will give you the revelation of it. So he's telling his disciples, that is why I speak to them in parables. I am not going to give the world who does not value this scripture the whole meaning of it. But to my disciples that would love this and cherish this truth, to them and to them only will I give this revelation. And that is what he he is telling his his disciples or his church. But it is given unto you. It's given unto you. It's given unto us to know the mysteries. So I I, I try to always 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 use that as a plus when I find myself. I'm not just. I'm not just. This is not just me going to the book of Revelation and wanting to understand every little phrase in there. I'm not taking that and just trying to use that to every little thing that I can find wrong or or find a, a mystery in the Bible. I'm not doing that. But what I am doing, something that is truly, if I find an issue in my life or if there's something that has happened to me, like I've always said, if there's something lands on your mailbox that just will not go away that you have to deal with, then you listen to our pastor, then you go to God's word because God's not going to let something just overwhelm you and not give you an answer to. He will. You will find something in this book that will help you, that will guide you. He will give you a truth that he, that seemingly will be for nobody else. Because God will not leave us just out here floundering to ourselves. There's truth all through this Bible. That's why I love it so good. Because any situation we find ourselves in, that's why I said, take the Bible. Get to yourself. Don't, don't just think that God is just, or life has turned something on you that there never will be an answer to. That is, that is just a lie from the enemy. God said it is given unto you. It's given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. The mystery is just an unrevealed truth that is in scripture. So do not let your flesh overwhelm you. If something you don't understand, take heart. In time, you will understand what these mysteries are. So there again, and he says, because it is given unto you. Now whosoever has, for whosoever has, he's telling, now he's telling his church, for whosoever has, All I can tell you, I'm me. And all I can tell you is the way I see it. This is the way I see it. For whosoever hath, whosoever, that's what I'm saying. We come to church, we rely on what God gives us. We rely on what the pastor teaches us. For whosoever hath responded to the call, had has come in, God has built his faith. God is filled his with his unmerited grace. He is coming in. He has took advantage of the opportunities. Verse 12, For whosoever hath, to him it shall be given. God has given him more. And then he says, And then he shall have in abundance. That's why I'm saying when you've come, and you've come to church for a long time, when life overwhelms us, life ain't dealing with no rookie. We have seen if if... If we have never dealt in that, we can find somebody that has dealt in that situation because the Bible says we would have in abundance because there again, that's why I want to point out, if we hadn't faced it, God has sent us to somebody that has faced us or if we can't find nobody that's been there, go to this book. It will give you somebody that's been there. So then it says, and then, and, and then it says, but whosoever has not, That is the individual that when the opportunity was presented they would not take advantage of the opportunity. They wouldn't take advantage of the faith that has been offered to them, of the grace that has been offered to them. So whosoever hath not, they would not do it. From him it shall be taken away. Other words, what is being taken away is the opportunities, the faith and the grace that has been presented to them that they didn't take advantage of. Now God said, you don't use it? I will take that away, even which he hath. So what he thought he had, he does not have anymore. Because God has retrieved that back and is going to give that to the one that has in abundance. So that is why, that's why I'm saying it's not a play on words. For he that hath not, he didn't take advantage of the, the kindness and the grace of God, so he lost it. That's why I'm saying it's been removed. It has been removed. So we have this opportunity. So it will be taken away. Why do you speak in parables, Jesus? Because that is the way God designed it. I will not give these precious truths just to somebody that will disregard them and will not love them as much as my beloved will. Now, go with me, if you will, to First um, uh, Peter he said in First Peter, I want to read in First Peter 1 and 10. The Bible said, now I want you to listen. I'm going to read three verses and listen to what it says. Of which salvation the prophets has inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. Verse 12, unto whom it was revealed and that not unto themselves but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desired to look into. Now, in verse 10, there is a phrase that said, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently. That searched diligently is the only time them two words is put together in the New Testament period. And what it is, it's saying, we would say it is they left nothing on the table. I know that's a common phrase, but what the Bible is saying is the Old Testament prophets looked into this and they searched with everything that was in them. They searched diligently of something that they was never going to have the full meaning of. Because I should never think that this has been handed to me And boy, ain't I something. Because God said, you need to look at how this got into you. And this was made by prophets, and they spent their life looking into this. And what it was was prophets that they looked, and they seen the revelations, only they knowed that they would never see the full end of the revelations. But they searched it out diligently, And the prophets knew that the they would look at it like this. All they knew is there was a time coming when sinful man would be able to enter into the presence of God. And to them, that would be overwhelming because all they knew is the high priest could enter. And if he didn't act right, God would kill him. But now sinful man could actually come into the presence of God. This was overwhelming to them Because you go from one extreme seemingly to the high priest to a sinful man can actually come and feel the presence of God and God not take his life. But God has said this is what they went through to get it to where you are now. So don't never think you are somebody. It costs people their life to get this scripture unto you right now. They searched diligently. They searched with everything that was within them. And the heartbreaking thing of it was they would never see the end of it. But the point is they never gave up. They give everything they had. God told them, you're not going to see the end of it. But that did not stop them. They searched diligently. They gave everything they had. They was willing to do that. And literally, when you look, when Adam and Eve, just look at it, when Adam and Eve sinned, they had never even seen an animal die. But here's the thing. When God took the life of the lamb, then they seen that the only way to God's presence was through a blood atonement. In other words, something had to die. So with them, they had never seen an animal die before or something die, period. It was the first time they had ever seen something die. So they searched diligently they wanted to see this, and we have read in, in so much, but David says it, I, I'll read it in, in reverse the way David says it. In Psalm 100, David said it like this, I will enter in his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. And we know that literally that's as far as David could go. Because the first thing you went entered was the gate, and then you come into the court, the outer court. Literally, that's if, if, if an Israelite was taking in his sacrifice, that was it. That was far as he could go. He could not go no further than that. And then in Psalms 27, four, David said, one thing I have I desired of the Lord and that will I seek after. That will I pursue. And how, how hard must it have been for David? If for David said, one thing have I desired and in truth I will never ever obtain it, but it will not stop me. I will pursue it all the days of my life and that is to dwell in the house of the Lord. I'm never gonna get there but I will not stop for I will go in the gate and I will go to the court but it will not stop my desire. I will continually pursue it all the days of my life for that is truly my desire and God knew his desire. He knew his thought and his desire. That was and in fact, 27.5, God said it like this, or David said it through the anointing, in the secret of his tabernacle. Now, in the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. Now, do I think he literally went in the tabernacle and went in the Holy of Holies? Of course not. I believe what God literally, what that means. It is just like when God told Moses, there is a place by me. In other words, I will set you. I believe God told David, that literally, in a spiritual speaking in spiritual terms. I know your desire. I know your pursuit. Your desire is to be in a place that you will never obtain. But I will put you in the secret of my tabernacle, and I will guard you as if you was in the holy place. I will put you there. I will hide you in the holy of holies as if you was there. For that is what David said. That was his desire. God could see his desire. And my point that I want to drive home is this is why God spoke to them in parables. I will not give them these truths. I will give them to my church because it's given unto you to know the mysteries of the God, of the kingdom. Now, when I preached, or it was like this, in the tabernacle, when someone had... Um, if an Israelite wanted to atone for a sin, there's only one way he could enter the tabernacle, and that was through the entrance gate. It's approximately 30 foot wide. There was a cloth all the way around it. Literally, any way, there was only one way in to the tabernacle. It did not matter who you was, what you was. If you was an Israelite going in to make an atone for your sin, you went in through the entrance gate. If you was the priest carrying out your priestly duties, you went in the entrance gate. If you was a high priest on the day of atonement, the most sacred day there was, you still had to go in the entrance gate. In other words, this is the point. Their access to God was one way. And everyone, it didn't matter your rank, so to speak, who you was with God or what you was with God. There was one access to the presence of God. And that was the entrance gate. Everyone had to go in that entrance gate. They had to go in. And they had to go in that gate. Now, what I want you to do, I want to read one scripture to you that Jacob, where he prophesied to his um, sons. Now, you might not understand this, but it says it this. The scepter shall not depart, this is in Genesis 49.10. This is when Jacob prophesying to his sons, the the twelve sons, this is of Judah. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the lawgiver or the staff from between his feet until Shiloh come. And then he says, Unto him shall be the gathering of the people be. So he said to Judah, The scepter, or the command, shall not depart from Judah. Now, this is all the way back in Genesis 49. He is telling him, you shall, Judah is going to rule. Now, Micah told us probably 700, I think it was 700 years before the birth of the Messiah where he was going to be born. He was going to be born in Bethlehem. So he's telling Judah, now, you're going to be the ruler. Shiloh is just a name for Messiah. It's going to be the Messiah. He's going to be born. Now, listen to this. The Bible tells us this. I'll read it. Moses and Samuel was from the tribe of Levi. Joshua was from Ephraim. Gideon was from Manasseh. Samuel from Dan. Saul was from Benjamin. But from the Genesis 49.10, about 650 years later, in the tribe of Judah, was a man born of David. Man born named David. So what he is telling, or what I'm saying, is that Jacob prophesied Judah is going to have control of the scepter. So, it took, it took a while. That is why there's so much history of why Saul should have never been king. He was not of the tribe of Judah. So, that's why I believe God told uh, Samuel, just you know, Saul was their king. I have provided me a king. He is from the tribe of Judah. So he takes, he said, just get over it. I've rejected Saul. The scepter belongs to Judah and not the lineage of Saul. So he takes, and then God said, I have provided me a king, and that king would come from the line of Judah, So the tribe of Judah. So he called and he became. Now, what I want you to do, I want you to remember that and turn with me if you want to or just read on the screen with me. I'm going to read um, in Luke chapter two. The Bible says this in Luke two, Luke two and seven. And she brought forth her brought and she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. Because there was no room for him in the inn. Okay, verse 12. And this shall be a sign unto you. Now they're speaking to the shepherds. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. Okay, this was speaking to the shepherds. And so, interesting enough to me, this was the sign that was given to the shepherds you know he's not going to be you're not going to find him at the star of David Hilton, you're going to find him in a stable and you think man the God of everything is going to be in a barn he's going to be born in a stable, don't go to the end because you're not going to find him there so I'm looking at this this was the sign he's going to be in a manger, he's going to be wrapped in swelling clothes, so Sister Rayleigh helped me with this and this is what we found out. Now, the manger, to me, this is what is very interesting to me. He was born in Bethlehem, which literally means the house of bread. Micah told us he would not be born in Jerusalem. He would be born in Bethlehem, the house of bread. Okay? And then he says you would find him in a manger. When you look back in biblical times, what is a manger? A manger is a feeding trough. Literally. Oh, what did the Lord say he was? I am the bread of life. So here he is born in a town called the house of bread. And you'll find him in a feeding trough. And then God said that I am the house of bread. That's why I've told people that it's just, we're just human. I mean, we search, we're restless. And i have told, this is the only guarantee in life you can find, period, that God can truly satisfy. Ever need, ever want, ever desire, nowhere else. They ain't no drug, they ain't no liquor, they ain't nothing that'll satisfy like God can. And, he, and it's just like I told Brother Jerry... On that second pew right there, Sister Peterson stood up one night and she said, the blessings of the Lord, it maketh rich and he addeth no sorrow with it. I have never ever forgot that and God will do that. And so here is God saying, tell the angels, tell the shepherds, they're gonna find me. But the swaddling clothes This is what interested me along with the feeding trough. That's where you'll find me. And interesting enough, This is why I believe also the shepherds were the first to tell. So when the shepherds came, and I can see them looking at one another, you'll find him wrapped in swaddling clothes. When you look that up, now they take and they go and they find Jesus. He's wrapped in swaddling clothes. The Bible, or not the Bible, but history tells us that shepherds literally would take when they found a lamb or whatever a new lamb is called, when they would find a baby lamb that was perfect, so to speak, they would take and wrap him in strips of cloth, and that was for a purpose. They would bind him tight as if we wrapped newborn babies. We wrap them up and hold them together because they don't have control of their limbs, and they would literally lay the lambs in a manger, and they would take care of them, and they would do this, and God said, you would find me, laying in a manger now the shepherds only done this for one reason and one reason only when they took this lamb and wrapped him up in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger the shepherd and the priest took care of these lambs because they was used as sacrifice in the temple so this is why I think God said I'm not revealing this truth but it is given unto you. So the shepherd's standing there, everybody is saying, it's what a cute little baby. But how long was it before the shepherd said? They don't know what they're looking at. We are literally looking at the lamb of God. We're looking at God manifested in the flesh that will be literally the first human sacrifice. They're talking about how cute the baby is. They don't know what they're looking at. We know it is the Lamb of God that came. Yes, they're glorifying the Savior of the world. But we see it from a different point of view. We are seeing the Lamb of God. So they took these lambs, wrapped them up, protected them. So when they came, and this is why the Bible says, this will be your sign. So when they saw Jesus wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, they literally did see, as John said later, behold, the Lamb of God. So this is why, this is why, God said, I will give unto you, my beloved, the mysteries of the kingdom of God. He was to be the sacrifice. Now, from Genesis forty nine ten to Shiloh came, was almost 1700 years but from David all the way to Jesus the scepter stayed in Judah it has not left and I don't believe it has left now literally I think this is a a theory that has not changed literally it's from an Old Testament that I believe is still relevant today now when they went in like I said there's only one way in to the temple So when we come to church, all right, I'll bring it up to date right now, and I'll use myself an example and leave you alone. This, that's why I said when somebody in the Old Testament, if they had done wrong, all right, they had to take their offering, take it to the priest. The priest used that sacrifice to make an atonement. Okay, that was the only way they could make an atonement is to offer a sacrifice. Everybody with me? If you got an atonement made for your sin, you must offer a sacrifice. Okay, I'll, take it, I'll bring it to the day. I'll come in. Okay, that's Old Testament. This is New Testament. What does the Bible say our sacrifice is? The fruit of our lips. Okay, I come in with the attitude, well, God knows what I've been through. Now, I'm not talking about no medical condition or nothing. I'm not beating on you for that, believe me. But what I am saying, the Bible says our sacrifice is the fruit of our lips. So I come in and I tell God in my actions, you know where I've been. You know what I've went through to get here. So it's enough me just being here. Okay, I come in church, I sit on my hands and I close my mouth. How can God forgive me what I offered no sacrifice? If I am to be forgiven, I must offer a sacrifice. For if I offer no sacrifice, then I'm not forgiven. Because if I, in my actions, say, God, I was here. I was here. That that had to be enough. You must offer a sacrifice. So we come in and we offer the sacrifice of praise. And just as God, when he was standing there. And I'm not asking nobody in no way to walk the back of the pew, just like the woman that stand there and in monetary value gave the least, but God said she gave the most. And I go back to my thing about the the offering with Cain and Abel. It's not what you give, it's how you gave it. So you don't have to come in and walk the back of the pews. It's being of a thankful heart. God, I thank you for what you've done. I thank you for blessing me this week. I thank you for helping me, even though I didn't even know what you've done. I don't know how much you gave me. But God, I thank you with every way I know how. I thank you. That is offering a praise of worship and a thanksgiving to God. For if I don't offer that, if I don't acknowledge that, then I have no way of being forgiven for that is the only way I can be forgiven is to offer that sacrifice of praise. And that is, I'm telling you the truth, that's the only way I can be forgiven is to offer that. Even though I am in as literally to the Old Testament, the holy of holies, and I don't offer no sacrifice, then I can't be forgiven because I've made no sacrifice. So when he tell, when he tells them that they just want it because literally God told them he said they are going to be those that come God spoke to them literally and why do you speak in parables because they are being they will be those that come that all they want to do is satisfy the flesh not to be cruel all they want is their stomach filled they do not want to feel their flesh. All they—they uh, they do not want to feel their spirit. All they want is their flesh filled. And God said, "They have, but I want to be like John." For this is the truth: John and those that beheld his glory, they still partook of the food, and they got to behold the glory. So it was just a double blessing for them, and in. In closing, I'll just say, um, I want to just mention one thing and and I won't read all of it. In Matthew 22, the Bible speaks again of a parable and and this is of the wedding feast and I won't read the whole thing. But he tells them that the kingdom of heaven was like Someone that went out, and just look at me with verse five. Just look at verse five. This is after his servants went out, and in verse five, twenty-two and five, they made light of it and went their ways. One to his farm, and another to his merchandise. And I, when I see that, my mind goes straight to as it was in the days of Noah, because one to his farm. And another two is merchandise. Merchandise. That's the only time that word is used in the New Testament now. And what it is, we would know it literally as a drummer. one, Someone that travels to make a living. So it's like this. The Bible is covering both. In other words, if you make a living at home or if you make a living on the road, wherever you make a living, you chose that more important than God. So it just said that here God is dealing with them. I have made a wedding. You need to come to the wedding. And they said, no, God, what we are doing is more important than your wedding. So the Bible says here that they went to their farm and one went to his merchandise. What we're doing is more important than what you have. Now, verse 10, the Bible says, So the servants went out into the highways and gathered together as many as they found, both bad and good, and the wedding was furnished with guests. Now I believe this proves that God, as a, a word that we hear so many, much today, God does not discriminate. It does not matter who you are. The Bible says, "Good and bad." It just says, "Period." Humanity. God does not call nobody. It literally says, go get them. If they will respond to my spirit, you call them. You get them. You go get them. Go do it. That's what he says. You know, and it's telling them. But there, and then he tells them, but I believe what the Bible does. And then he tells them in verse 11, and the king and when the king came, came in to see the guest, he saw there was a man that had not on a wedding garment. Now, I believe what that does, Levin, I believe what, that, um, what it does is it clears up to me. It clears up verse 10. Because verse 10, it says, go get the good and the bad. So if someone, now this is a parable. So if someone was having their mind that we're, you know good and bad can go to heaven, I believe God is clearing that up is the way I see it, that you must have on a wedding garment to get in. Okay, on the day of atonement, which was the most important day to Israel, the priest, the high priest, he had to cleanse himself, he had to have on uh, a special garment, he had to have the burning incense, and he had to have the blood, or God took his life. I'm telling you, God, there was no play in this. None, it was, you're talking about zero tolerance. There was none. God did not play. So, there is, as God has told us, there is, God does not discriminate. Everyone is called. Everyone is called. But, out of the cold, they are gonna make up the chosen. And why, why I think that God chose to do that and not just chose to reveal everything up front is because of all the sacrifice that was made through all the Old Testament because I don't know what it was like with Isaiah and him writing because Isaiah, the one that told us about the lamb and then how the lamb was going to be born and what it was like. All of a sudden, there's this Savior that's been promised for hundreds and hundreds of years And then here Isaiah finds himself writing about a man that's going to be beat so bad that you can't even recognize him. So how do you contrast that? You're writing of this Savior. That's just, he's what we're waiting on. And then on the other end of that, we're not even going to be able to recognize him. And God said, my men, I anointed. I put my spirit in them, and they wrote under the influence of the Holy Ghost. I directed them, and the Bible says they knew. You know, what if you lived in the day of horses and God gave you the complete engineering details to a vehicle? How would you try to explain that to someone? I don't know what it's for, but I know it's not for us, but one day this is going to benefit humanity. And they would be like trying to tell people, and they was like, I don't, you know, wow you've been left alone too long but they know they know it wasn't for them but just like David it is in here and I'm not letting go of it I have desired this and I will seek it all the days of my life God has let me know that I'll never, I'll never reach it but it will not stop me that's why I think the Bible says that in the secret of my tabernacle will I hide you and I believe he did so that's why I think, and that's why I know, because don't let it frustrate you in no way. If it's something you don't understand, you take this Bible and you go. God said it is given, it is given unto you. So that is a promise from God to help us understand. And if it's something that we need to know, listen while He is speaking. Because I promise you, God will give us an answer. He will. God bless you.
0: This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way. And we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic